I'm working through church's core beliefs. That's the task, one of the tasks I've been given this year. So my hope is that uh, you'll experience what grow is all about. This morning is going to be about growth. Now, um, I preached about our first core belief last time. Who remembers what it was on? David. That's right, the Word of God. It's about the Bible. Remember this? The Bible is the living words of God, infallible as originally given, and the supreme authority in all Christian doctrine and lifestyle. It's all about the Bible. Okay, if you're looking where our core beliefs are, you go to our webpage. That's it. Beautiful picture of Nathan right there. You go to, let's see, there, about us. Click on about us. Drop down to our core beliefs. There they are there. And we are looking at number two today. And it goes like this. In one eternal God, we believe in one eternal God who is the creator of all things. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So you know what we're talking about this morning? Have you got a name for this? The Trinity, that's right. We're going to be looking at the Trinity this morning. So I'm going to try and break this down into three ways, and this might help you if you're going to follow me. Hopefully you can stay awake and keep your minds alert because it's not the easiest thing to explain. I'm going to explain the belief, number one. Then we're going to explain how God expresses himself through who he is, okay? And then we're going to look at how it works out in our life. And in in, in the light of that, I'm going to refer to what Nathan preached on last week uh, about transformation and talk about how transformation is a process of the Trinity and, and the journey that God has us on. So I know that if you weren't here last week, you've probably all been on the podcast during the week. You've all heard it. So you know what Nathan preached on. Um, and if you didn't know we had a podcast, you can go to that same website and find it and uh, and listen to it during the week, okay? So that's the, uh, the journey we're on. Let's see where we're going to go with this, okay? Trinity is the word. Let me give you some explanation of this. It's the word we use to explain who God is, okay? Now, Trinity is made up, it's a compound of these two words, actually. Tri, which is three, and unity, which is one. So it's the triunity, the triunity, the three in one, three persons in one being. Now, I just want to put it out there and uh, get, you know, sort of get the elephant out of the room. This is not the easiest theological concept to explain. So that's why Nathan gave it to me, so that... (laughs) So that I get stuck and get all the emails and the conversations that go with it because uh, he he's too busy. Um, okay, it's not the easiest thing to understand. It, it, it is a hard doctrine. In fact, I believe to our minds, it's actually beyond us. I put it out there to you. It is actually beyond us. It just doesn't make sense. Now, I don't know, maybe you have worked it out. I'd love to talk with you. I'd like that email if you've actually worked it out. Okay? I haven't actually worked it all out. And that's where I'm coming from this morning. How can there be three persons and yet one being? I just don't get it. And yet, that very mystery, I believe, is what gives me hope in my relationship with God. What do I mean by that? Well... I cannot fully explain him. I cannot fully explain him. Because you see, 
the, the way I view this, if I could explain who God is, then I'd be better than God, wouldn't I? If I actually could put God into the box, I'd have him all worked out. I'd have him this shape, this shape, this shape. Well, he might be that shape, that side. I'd have him all worked out. But I can't get God into the box. It does not make sense. And so I push and push and push, and we all do it. And in fact, there are lots of religions and cults that have God in the box. And you go to them and listen to them. And I've done some studies on different religions and cults, and they will give you a nice little package. Here it is. Here's the book. Read all about it. We've got him all worked out. Well, my God keeps exploding the box. Okay? My God is beyond my box. And he keeps taking me into areas and understandings that is just mind-blowing. Okay? I cannot compartmentalize my God. Or let me just say, not just my God, the God of the Bible. I cannot compartmentalize him. I cannot fully know how he exists and works because he just keeps exploding the box that I try and push him into. Isaiah says it this way. Just follow with me in this. Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What a beautiful verse. I mean, that's me. Go after it. Come after me, God says. Seek me with everything you have. You're sinful, you've fallen, but come to me with everything you've got. You will find me. And, And what I read in this verse is God desires me to come near to him. That's what he's calling, isn't he? He's saying, come near, but don't think you're going to work him out. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, we can't work him out. He says, come, but you're not going to be able to put him in the box because he's beyond us. But there is hope. Where God's beyond our human comprehension, he has revealed himself enough for us to know him. And that's the thing that I like. He's given us enough information for us to step towards him and to say, I want to know you and have a relationship with you. He has revealed himself enough for us to know him. And this is how he's revealed himself. One being in three persons, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One being in three persons, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, it must be stated, and I want to put this right here for you, that the doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to the Christian faith. It's one of those, which is why it's one of our core beliefs, it is one of those pillars that or the foundational stones that you build Christianity upon. It's important that you realise who the Trinity is. What I mean is it's crucial to properly understand what God is like. It is crucial for us 
to understand what God is like. Someone once tried to say it this way. Try to explain it and you'll lose your mind, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. I kind of go, okay, I can understand that. Try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. That's how crucial the Trinity is to us. So let me give you some teaching on this triunity of God without trying to make it too uh, dull, okay? We're going to try and work this through together. The doctrine of the Trinity means that there's one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, okay? One God eternally exists as three distinct persons. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me state it differently for you. God is one being and three in person. So what's being when I say that? God is one in being. Now, I'm a human being. What, what does that mean? You're a human being. What does that mean? Well, I kind of understand it to be the stuff of who I am. I think stuff's a good word. It's everything that I am, isn't it? It's my will. It's my emotions. It's my mind. It's my thinking. It is my body. I have to have something to put all that in. It is my heart. You see, it's who I am. I am a human being. Well, God is one being. But you could say that God's being is, well, we know, because the Bible teaches us that God is spirit. So his being is spirit. Or maybe a word that connects a bit more for you is divinity. God is a divine being because you and I are not divine beings. So there is that sense that God is separate from us. But that also in itself displays who he is. He is one in being, but he's also three in person. And the definition expresses this, these three crucial truths. And I'm going to look at these three with you. That the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Secondly, each person is fully God. And thirdly, there is only one God. So let's try and break this down and try and understand it. First truth is this, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Now, the Bible speaks of um, the Father as God in Philippians 1 verse 2. You can write those verses down, I won't go to them for time. That Jesus is also God in Titus 2.13. And when you get to Acts 5, 3 and 4, the Holy Spirit is God. The verses are very clear that Father, Son, uh, Father, Jesus and Holy Spirit are God. One being. But in stating this, there's two errors that you must not fall into. And I fell into this quite often. Um, the first error is this. Don't see that just three different ways of looking at God or don't see them as three different roles that God plays. What do I mean by that? Well, let me just show you. The first one is don't see them as three different ways of looking at God. See, I used to use the illustration about God, and there's many illustrations, isn't there? The three-leaf clover, the egg, the water, steam. Have you heard, you've probably heard them all, haven't you? I used to use one that was, oh, I am Ken, me. I am also a father, but I'm also a son. And so there I am, there's the Trinity. But you see, what I've actually done is actually shown you just three ways of looking at me. God is not that. Okay, he... he he blows our illustrations out of the water. But what we try and do is get him back into that box again. 
So we create these wonderful illustrations that try and put him back in. Oh, I can understand him now. He's not as, you know, uh, free. I've got to get him into this place. But we need to go beyond this. And this is one of them. Listen to this. The fact that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are distinct persons means that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Okay? Hopefully you've all heard that. Lock that in. Jesus, though, is God, but he's not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but he's not the Son or the Father. They are different persons, not three different ways of looking at God. Okay, that's the first error. Second error is this, don't see them as just roles that God plays. You see, there was never a time when one of the persons of the Godhead did not exist. Okay? And I'll explain this a little bit more in a minute. But there was never a point in time when one of the persons of the Godhead did not exist. They are all eternal. Now, while the three members of the Trinity are distinct, this does not mean that any is inferior to the other. And often we fall into this trap, particularly, I think, with the Holy Spirit. We call him an it. Now, I don't like to be called an it. It's like I talk, called someone she yesterday, and they said, she's the cat's mother. No one, no woman likes to be called a she either. I have a name, they say. <laughs> well, we should do that with the Holy Spirit also. He's a he. He's God. So let's give him the honour and the glory that is due to him. But it's very easy to fall into this trap. While the three members of the Trinity are distinct, this does not mean that any is inferior to the other. Instead, they all have identical attributes. What do I mean by that? Well, they're all equal in power. They're all equal in love and mercy and justice and holiness and knowledge and all the other qualities that go with who God is. All equal at the same time. That's the first truth. The second truth is each person is fully God. Each person is fully God. You see, each person is not one third of God. It's another heresy. And I haven't put all these heresies, but down through the ages of time, these heresies have arisen through the church and often what they call councils had to be raised up to write a script to explain the truth of what the heresy was about and right against it. And so you have the different councils down through the centuries of the church that have said, no, he is not this, he is this, and they state it. And creeds were created. Athanasius' Creed is the, the, the main one about the Trinity. Around 200, 300 AD that was written. Each person is not one-third of God. So you can't divide God up into three pieces like you do a pie. Okay. And it's very easy to fall into that trap. Don't do it. Because that would make each person less than fully God. See what would you do then? And thus, you would make none of them God at all if you divide them up. Because they'd be less than who he is and they are. The being of each person is equal 
to the whole being of God. The being of each person is equal to the whole being of God. And we have these verses, and I can't show you the array of them because there's just so many of them, but you have a verse like this in Colossians 2.9, for in him, this is Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Now, Paul actually puts in two words, whole fullness. Do you have to use it? You know, he's trying to get it across, isn't he? You can't have any more full than whole, can you? But he says, no, it's the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Jesus. Wow, okay. And when you get to Acts 5, 30, uh, 3 and 4, we read that these words about the Holy Spirit, it's about Ananias, if you remember the story. And the words say this, you have not lied to God, Sorry, you have not lied to man but to God. But they're talking about the Holy Spirit. So they're talking about the Holy Spirit and it says you have not lied to man but to God because the Holy Spirit is God. That's why we don't call him it because he has a name, the HS. Each person is 100% God all at the same time. Okay? Second truth, third truth is this, there is only one God. So if each person is distinct and yet fully God, should we conclude that there are more than one God? No. No, we shouldn't. Because you would be going against Scripture. Isaiah says this, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And then you have these beautiful words in Matthew. This is the Great Commission. So this is Jesus sending the disciples out into the world. And he makes this statement. He says, and there is no other, uh, sorry, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things there. Number one, they're distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus says. That's number one. Number two, they're all placed on the same level equally. Okay? It's baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And thirdly, and this is the most important part, I think, here, it's in the name, singular. Not in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Very clear to that you realize that and recognize that that is the truth. It is the name, one name, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he is one in a certain way. Sorry, he, go back. Yeah. He is one in a certain way. He's being, and he is three in a different way. His stuff, if I can say it or his person. But being and person are not the same thing. Okay? Being and person are not the same thing. Since God is one in a different way, then he is three. The Trinity is not a contradiction. And and because sometimes I hear this, it, 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 people say, so I don't get it. I, I, how does it... How does that work? Does it not, you know, sound that way? That we're contradicting ourselves? Well, it's not, and I'll, I'll try and show you why. 
because God is one in three at the same time but not in the same way, then he is one in a certain way, being, and he's three in a different way, person. Okay? You're all looking at me a bit dull here. Do we all need to stand up, walk around and sit down? Listen to, I'll say it again. It might sound that this is a contradiction with what I'm saying, but it's not. Because God is one in three ways. Sorry, God is one in three at the same time, but not in the same way. He is one in a certain way. He's being, that's what, remember I talked about that, the stuff, who we are. He is one in a certain way, he's being, and he is three in a different way, his person. Now, since God is one in a different way than he is three, the Trinity is not a contradiction. Okay, so even though you don't understand it, it doesn't mean that it's a contradiction. Okay? There would only be a contradiction if we said that God is three in the same way that he is one. That's a contradiction. Because A can't be not A. A is A. Okay? So it's not a contradiction. There would only be one if we said that God is three in the same way that he is one. Let me just say, um, I like the way the theologian Norman Geisler puts it. He says, being, okay, our stuff, is what you are. Being is what you are. Okay? While person is who you are. Let that sink in. Being is what you are. Person is who you are. So then he says this, God is one what and at the same time three who's. I like that. God is one what and at the very same time three who's. And I kind of go, oh, I can grasp that. I think. I think it's sinking in. Okay? Now, by now I've either done your head in or I've brought some light and clarity on it. Let's have the done your head in part and let's have the clarity... No, don't worry. <laughs> oh, both. The goalpost. Okay. Right. Those, all those hand wavers got their hands up right then. They were, okay. But can I say, either way, okay, um, whether you've done your head in or whether you, you actually can grasp it in some way, I don't think we'll fully understand it this side of heaven. I actually think we need our new heavenly bodies to see God, to know God, to understand God in all his fullness. He's given us a glimpse. We're made in his image. But it's not until we are restored again into that newness of the new bodies in heaven do we actually sit back and go, ah, okay. Because I think at that point we're beyond the human being and it'll be a spiritual, whatever we are now, whether that still have this humanity within us. I, I don't know if it's humanity. I don't understand all that. That's another part we're going to get to in our core beliefs. But I think we all understand God a bit better when we finally are brought into his presence. So I think this side of heaven, we're always going to struggle to fully comprehend God. So let me just sum it up for you by saying it this way again. 
God as Trinity allows us to relate to him as one undivided being unfolding in three distinct persons. Okay? And you're saying, if you're part of LifeGate, I believe that. (laughs) And if you're a Christian, you're saying, I believe that, even though I might not understand it. And I don't blame you if you don't. Just stay on the journey of trying to understand him better because he wants you to. Okay? So it's in these three distinct persons where we see our great God reveal himself. So let me just quickly show you how he does that. Okay? How does he express himself? Well, God the Father's role is to generate things. Okay? Um, God is the Father. He, he, he generates things. He's the creator or the maker of all things. Here's a lovely verse. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's what he does. God the Father is the maker, the creator. Things originate with him and flow from him. God the Father is equal with the Son and the Holy Spirit, but things start with him. In fact, the only thing that didn't start with him was the Holy Spirit and Jesus because he did not create them because that is him. Okay? But all other things are generated from him. The Father although not creating the Son or the Spirit, sends both the Son and the Holy Spirit into the world. So he is the one that creates the opportunity for us to know both the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is the Son, pays for our sins with his blood, which he did for for us by dying on the cross, Romans 5 verse 9. And In Christ dying for us, he makes a way back to the Father, doesn't he? So uh, Christ allows us the return back into God's presence. Um, Christ's doing and dying in my place or in our place or for those who make him their king makes it possible that we can enter back into the presence of our Father. And the great thing about it is, We can do that because our sins are removed and we become new creations. And because of that, we can enter into his presence because we come in washed and cleansed and forgiven. Our sins have been paid for by his blood on the cross and we are free to enter back in. So when you and I look at each other, we don't see each other as perfect, but when God looks at you, he actually does see you as perfect which is why he has a relationship with you because he made a way back through Jesus. But the other thing about Jesus is Jesus also acts as a mediator between us and God, the go-between. So you and I need a bridge and that bridge is Jesus. I can't get to God, I need a way. Jesus is the way. But the other thing we're told in 1 John is that he speaks to the Father in our defence. He goes in there for you, goes in the bat for you, particularly when you sin because he paid the price. And God might go, you know, because there's a couple of verses and you read it and you go, oh, like it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you go, oh, that's a bit awkward. And Jesus goes, Father, look here. There are the holes. Ken can come into your presence because... I died for him. 
so I can enter back into the presence of God. He goes into bat for me. It's a wonderful thing. And then there's God, the Holy Spirit. Well, he's got many roles or helps us in many ways. Here's just a couple. Helps us to pray. He gives us new life. He is our comforter and he helps us to understand God's word. He lifts up Christ. He convicts us of sin. He helps us to live holy lives. He gives us love, joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Oh, I want all those. Yeah, I need them. He helps us share our faith and he lives inside of us. So the Holy Spirit does an immense amount in our lives. That's why we need God as Trinity. That's why we need one being in three persons. Because of the way God expresses himself to us. And it's an absolutely wonderful relationship. So in the time I've got left, I want to bring all this head stuff down into some form of what does that actually look like in our Christian life, okay? And I'm going to use me as the example, okay? Um, I want to do this by, as I said, referring to what Nathan spoke about last week, transformation. And now Nathan made this statement. I don't know if it was you that said it or you got it out of the book, Nathan, but it said, if we aren't transformed, we will settle for being informed or conformed. John Ortberg said it, okay. If we aren't transformed, we will settle for being informed and conformed. Now, what I've done for you this morning is actually given you information. So if anything, you will, can walk out of these doors today and go, well, I've got a lot of information about the Trinity. I've been informed. And you can walk out those doors and I guarantee you if I ring you in 15 minutes, you probably have forgotten. That's the sad thing about it. We don't retain too much. Okay, because information does that, and we let, let's face it, we're in information overload, aren't we? In the in the twenty first century, transformation though is the goal of God for you in your life, this side of heaven. So it's important that you understand that transformation is where God wants to take you. That's why when you do become a Christian, you say, "God, I want you to be my boss. I want you to be the king." It doesn't just zap you off to heaven. He gives you the opportunity to actually to grow into who he wants you to become, which is the image of his son. So transformation is actually what God wants for, for you. He wants you, if I can say it this way, to take on the family likeness. Now, who doesn't want their children to take on the family likeness? And I guarantee every one of the children that are all around this church, I can look at every one of them or see them do something and they are just like their mum and dad. We went to um, Colleen's last night and three of the children were there and Thea and I said, oh, they are just like their mum and dad. Beautiful kids. And we enjoyed being a part of those three little ones' lives. But God wants that for us. We're his little ones. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be transformed into his likeness. It's a wonderful thing. He wants us to live and act and think and imitate Jesus. So you see, at 15, I became a Christian. I was pretty young. My background was not one of church. I'd been taken a few times, didn't like it, preferred to go and play in the bush. We lived on the edge of National Park in the Southern Shore. 
That was much better church than sitting in rows in hard seats with old people. Um, that was my experience at church. Um, but one of the things that got me when I did become a Christian was I wanted to please God. I just wanted to make God happy. You see, I'd learnt this at a very young age because my upbringing, particularly with my earthly father, was very legalistic. And I learned at a very young age that to get his attention, I needed to be good, really good. See, my dad's very black and white with life and what you do. And he's quite an emotionless man. So emotion really wasn't shown in our family. It was the three boys and my mum and dad. And also, he was a really good man. Now my dad's still alive and he's still a good man. But as a little kid growing up, I just saw him as perfect. He was the perfect man. And I wanted to get close to this perfect man. But because of his upbringing and where he came from and his background, there always seemed to be this wall I had to try and get over to get closer to him. And it was a struggle for me. But I learned at a very young age that if I was really good, he'd notice me. So really good was what I had to be. So I carried this legacy of realising that if I was really good, my father would notice me into my Christian life. And I said, if I'm really good, my heavenly father will notice me. Because my understanding of father was my earthly, so why wouldn't my heavenly father be any different? And so I'm carrying this understanding that I have to be really good. Can I also say I I actually thought I need to be perfect for God to really love me. Now, I really wanted God to love me. I wanted him to notice me. I wanted him to be my father who maybe, you know, I kind of didn't get when I was growing up. That was how I took, uh, how I entered into this relationship with Jesus, uh, with God. I carried this over, and because he's the first person of the Trinity, he's the first one I I kind of um, got involved with, God as Father. That's the relationship, how it started to grow. But I thought to myself, well, the best way to, to, to grow in this relationship and to get to know him was I needed to learn or get knowledge. So... At 15 and a half, I signed up for a Bible college course by correspondence with the New Zealand Bible College. That's how keen I was to know about God. And they would send me their booklet. I'd read through the booklet. I'd do two or three pages of full scat writing, send it back. They'd tick it and correct it and send it back to me with the next book. And I'd start again. Now, this is 15 and a half. Because how else do you get to know God except you information? You've got to learn about him. And that could have added on to me. I, I then went to Bible College, SMBC, after I finished my apprenticeship and did my diploma and then I did my advanced diploma with them and then that wasn't enough. I needed more information. I went and did my degree. I mean, how far can I go? Well, you can go a lot further. Masters, doctorate, I've stopped because I realised a big, big lesson. Information's not the way you get to God. Information's not the way. Okay, what happened was I realised that, okay, I've got to do something with this information to make God even more pleased. I'll become a pastor. 
if I give this information to people, then, then I must even be better, wouldn't I, if I'm passing on this information? So I became a pastor. And the sad thing was, that is not the answer. You know, God played with me, allowed me to unravel this process as he's forming and moulding me and work this through. Now, let me just say, learning is important. I'm not putting that down. Open your Bibles. Read your Bibles. But realise that knowledge does not go towards transforming you. It's more than. It's not the only thing. I reason I needed to take the information and do something with it, so what I started to do was I started to conform. I took the knowledge and I started to conform. But the problem is, as I mentioned, my upbringing, the thinking that I need to be perfect and I need to be really, really good, became such a thinking in my mind that I became legalistic. I was more about law than grace. In fact, I didn't know too much about Jesus really in any way. My preaching, if you'd seen me when I was 25, 30, when I was leading a church, was very legalistic. I look at my sermons today and cringe that I actually preach those words to people (laughs) and think about it. Very legalistic. In fact, let me just say, pharisaical. I became a Pharisee. This is what God says. This is the Ten Commandments. This is what you must do. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you please God. Do the word. Do, do, do. And I became a human doing more than a human being. I took the information and I just made it conform to who I was. I moulded myself around this information and it gripped me to the point where there was no life in me, nothing at all. My legalistic and perfectionist learning just made me religious. And looking back at it, I really lacked love. I really lacked the grace that Jesus brings. And I had to learn where Jesus comes into all of that. And I realised that uh, I didn't really know the second person of the Trinity. And I remember very clearly breaking this down in my life and understanding the difference between law and grace. Jesus shows me grace. And he can break that pharisaical bent within me, thinking I've got to go to him and try and grab his love, attention. Here I am, look at me. God looks at you. He's the almighty God. He doesn't, he doesn't not have eyes for you. He sees you. I was so chained to the law that there was no freedom in my life. Jesus came and gave me exactly what I needed, exactly what I needed to get out of. I couldn't fulfill the law. I just couldn't be good enough. I couldn't care enough. I couldn't do enough. And Jesus broke those chains of conforming and I was released. And it was a wonderful thing. But that release came through the third person of the Trinity. And this is the important part I think you need to grab onto. I remember as a 40-year-old, 25 years I'd been in ministry, sitting at my office desk going, there must be more to life than this. Okay, I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've been a Christian for 25 years, a pastor for nearly 15, 
And I'm sitting at the desk going, there must be more to life than this. Now, I don't know if any of you in the congregation are thinking that. Is this all that Christian life is? There's got to be more to it than this. Well, I was asking that question, and that's when God said, okay, you're ready for the next phase of your life? And he revealed to me the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got to say, I never got taught the Holy Spirit when I was first became a Christian at 15. I knew he was there. I think he was an it. I had nothing to do with him. I was one of those people that didn't even put my hands in my pocket and lift my hands. No way would I ever do this. Oh, boy, you're a nutcase if you do that. Who would ever display that kind of affection to God? That was my thinking. In fact, I remember the pastor in our fraternal in the Sutherland Shire, he used to send um, invitations to come to their prayer meetings. I'm going, you're kidding, as if I'd I'd go. As if I'd go to that prayer meeting with those people that prayed in tongues and things like that. Anyway, you know what? God took me on this journey and transformation happened. And what happened was he allowed me to meet the Holy Spirit Because you know what? It's the Holy Spirit that does transformation. It's the Holy Spirit that actually comes into your life and breaks those chains of legalism and pharisaicalism because he's the one that gives you the power to overcome that which holds you back. And I'm going to close here. I'm going to get the band to come on up because I want to say, if you find in your life and you're asking this question, there must be more to life than this. There is. The sad thing was I've sat in the last two weeks with people who are my age who I know were going hard for God when we were younger. And I've said to them, what church you go to today? Oh, we don't go to church. Now, this is across the board. This is four or five people. Oh, what do you do? Oh, well, it's not. I haven't stopped believing. Oh, I just don't go anymore. Oh, what do you do? Well, you know, I don't read the word, but I still believe. And I'm going, where's the passion? Where's the love? It was information for them. They conformed. They went to church. They did all the right things. But there's been no transformation. And you know what? That's what we all need. We need the Spirit to come and reveal the fullness of the Godhead so that we can fall in love afresh with you. Let me pray. Great God, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you that in the fullness of who you are, the triunity, that we can have what we are designed for. And that is the desires of our heart fully met. We all want that. We think we can find it with the things around us or the things we own or the places we travel to for holidays. We think these are the things that are going to fill us up. Nothing fills us up but a relationship deeply embedded with you. And it is you that gets us there. I pray for each one of us that we might go hard after seeking you in your fullness and that you as the triunity would grab a hold of us and take us on that journey that would create each one of us to know you deeper and know you more and to be filled this side of heaven with the fullness of life that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.